0: Lord, for that glad for the safety that um, that you've got and just the rest. Let's turn our Bibles again to First Timothy, and we're up to chapter six now. And um, last time we we looked at this, we really identified the theme of the chapter. Remember, the great theme of the book of First Timothy is is really how a church ought to behave themselves. And so we've titled this series "Authentic Church." I don't know how long we've been. I just know it's part twenty-six. All right, so. Um, so we looked at in, in chapter 5, it was really how the, the church was uh, re- responding to each other as far as internally, how their relationship was, and really it was, it was uh, the, how the church was to be internally with one another. And, and really chapter 6, as you observe it, is, is the church's t- testimony externally. And re- we only covered the first two verses last time we were in the book of uh, First Timothy in chapter 6, and so we're going to pick it up from there. The last time we looked at the testimony of the believer at work. And remember, we identified the fact that, that the, the, the many of the, uh, of the church in that day, in the church of Ephesus, were uh, in this uh, class of people as servants or, or slaves. And uh, certainly the, the Bible is, uh, is not um, condoning that, but understanding the situation of the day, really, uh, we could liken it to um, to employment and, and different things like that. But we understand that they were going through some of the harshest conditions there. And yet, even in those situations, the, the imperative for those in those situations what was that they would keep a good testimony for the sake of the gospel. And by the way, isn't that really the imperative for us? Our conversation, our manner of living ought to adorn the gospel of Christ. And so he's teaching that really, and, and he uses verse... Three, really to to rest the imperative to a theme that is is really the theme of of authentic Christianity. It's really the theme of our testimony, and it's the testimony of godliness. And notice there again uh, in verse 3, if any man teach otherwise. And so after he's teaching through regarding our attitude um, in in the workplace, our attitude toward our, our earthly um, masters or bosses or managers or those above us, he then starts to begin to, to really get our mind to how we ought to be in, in a godly way. And what godliness really is, is simply this, to be like God. To be like Him in attitudes, to be like Him in our perspective. And so he's going to start to teach here. And, and what we're going to see in the next couple of verses is a testimony of godliness, And um, godliness is what the Christian life is really all about. See, God didn't save us to be like anyone else so that we could be like anyone else. God saved us so that we can be like Him. And only through the relationship that we have through our Savior can we have true godliness. And, you know, we could seek for other things. We certainly can seek for solutions in our lives. We can seek for certain different things. But God wants us to seek to be like Him. And when we do that, other things fall into place. And so godliness is what the Christian life is really all about. And so Paul begins to identify that for us. He, he identifies that in the church there were those who were teaching things that were contrary to what he was teaching. And so he describes them. He describes a little bit about them, their their um, their characteristics. And then he goes into a really a, a key part of Scripture regarding godliness and contentment and what what that pairing does, and what it produces in our lives. All right, so let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless as we get into the, the Word of God tonight. Father, again, we love You. We thank You, Lord, for the opportunity that we have uh, to open up Your Word in this brand new year. And thank You, dear God, that, Lord, we can trust You, uh, even as we open Your Word, to instruct us, to, to help us, Lord, to be, um, to be more pleasing to You, to be honoring to You. And thank You, dear God, that, Lord, we have that ability because of the grace that You gave us through the salvation offered us through Christ. And so thank You again for Your grace, Your mercy. I pray that You'd help us this evening to understand the things of Your Word. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And I want you to note verse 3 here, firstly, the right standard. Notice what he says there, "...if any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according..." to godliness and i want you to notice firstly a differing a differing he he notices he he makes a note there if any man teach otherwise and and the word if here isn't really a question paul understood that in the church there were those uh, as we already noted there were those who had crept in who started to teach things that were contrary to what paul uh, had already expressly taught and, and so paul begins by identifying the fact that there were those in the church, and this was not a question, but really a statement of his knowledge of the situation. He said, there are those, if any, says, if any man teach otherwise. And and so he, he directly addresses them. This wasn't just a difference of opinion. This was a contrast to what was given Paul through direct revelation. You understand that the way that the Scriptures were given was uh, God inspired holy men of God and and, and particularly in the New Testament, God used the Apostle Paul to really give us the doctrine of the New Testament church. God used Paul as a vessel and and so here as we're we're, we're thinking about paul it wasn't so much that he was uh, he was a he was inerrant but he was given specifically he was the apostle to the church to give the doctrines of christ and, and so we can't say, and we can't apply this to you know whatever the pastor says is the is is what goes. This is really speaking about uh, uh, making sure that the things that we are being taught and we're hearing in whatever circumstance is is really from the Word of God. And, and so he identifies firstly the differing. Okay, this wasn't just differences of opinion. Paul was given the specific task of giving church doctrine and anything that differed to Paul's teaching was not the right standard. That That's what he was driving at. And so notice then, the second thing, and he says, and consent not to wholesome words. So at first, he, he identifies a differing, but then he identifies a hindering. He says, don't consent, consent not to wholesome words. There, there are those who uh, were differing in their teaching in contrast to what Paul was given, but then there, it was really a hindering of what was supposed to be taught. You understand that when, when things are being taught that are different to the Word of God, not only are we, are we not hearing the Word of God and we're, uh, we're being placed in error, you understand then we are robbed or hindered from getting the right and wholesome words that we're supposed to get. And you understand, churches, this evening that it's not just about turning up to church, it's about being fed by the Word of God. I'm glad for our fellowship. I'm glad we get to see friends. I'm glad we get to have some time to encourage each other. But I hope that encouraging and I hope that edifying is from the wholesome words that we hear from the Word of God. I, I hope you don't come here for, for gossipy words. Uh, I hope you don't come here just simply to get the latest about a certain, certain situation. I, I hope you're not here just to get an opinion. I hope you're here to get some wholesome words. And, and what he was saying there was these ones who differed. He said, again, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words. There was a, there was a hindering those teaching contrary were also hindering health in the church. And wholesome words here simply means the, the words that give health to the church. When something is wholesome, it means it gives vitality. It gives, it gives the right, the right um, uh, vitamins and, and the, right, uh, the, the right energy and the right, um, the right mix of nutrients to be able to foster healthy living. Uh, we, we know that from, uh, from the kind of foods that we eat. And it's similarly here for the Word of God. When we, uh, when, we, when we go to different sources for our spiritual health, then that's hindering the health that we're supposed to get from the Word of God. You understand tonight? You understand that, that really when we come, we, we don't come for merely the teaching of man and his style and how he delivers it and how he entertains us. It's plainly the Word of God. And you know, sometimes we look at the, the the vessel of which the Word of God is being delivered and maybe they're not your cup of tea. Maybe you just look at them, ah, they're a little young, ah, they're a little, you know, I really already know that, but listen, have some respect, not for the vessel itself, but have some respect for the Word of God, because that's really what it's all about. And I'm glad we get to, uh, I'm glad for the, the calling that I have, I'm glad that I get to be part of God's plan, but but I'd hope that as we come together, that you wouldn't simply look at the vessel, but you'd look at the, the, the thing that is being given, those wholesome words. And in the action of teaching contrary things, really the church loses health, and, and really it will eventually, because of a lack of health, die. And, and unfortunately, in, in times that we live in, we've got to be very careful about getting wholesome words. We've got to be careful to measure not by the standard of what we hear week in, week out, but what we hear from the Word of God. What we hear, and I hope that you come with that understanding of, of what is the right standard. You see, Paul's words, being Scripture, the Bible says about them were weighty and powerful. But you know, the, the, the words of Paul, what God gave him, they weren't always pal- palatable to the, to the average person. You know, sometimes we'll hear something that maybe it'll take a little while to digest. It'll take a little bit of study. It'll take a little bit of delving into the Word of God. But, but we, 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 we delve and we look for those wholesome things, and it's not always palatable. And hence, lesser men were coming in at his expense, at Paul's expense, to hinder the work. And you know, we live in a day today where we have so much access to other information. Right? You could, you could go tomorrow, and, and you know what? You could, you could turn this off right now because you think you're going to get a better feed from the podcast tomorrow. And maybe that person is, is skillful, and in fact, they may even get into the Word of God. But you know, God's design of our coming together is that we come to a place of feeding each week. And we're supposed to have an attitude of coming to hunger after the Word of God. But He's saying there that if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words. There are those who were a hindering. But then notice a benchmark, and he says this, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, notice that the benchmark was the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it was? This was the Word of God in that day. We understand we have the completed Word of God. We have from Genesis to Revelation, the canon of Scripture. And we understand that God intended for us to have these words to feed upon But what he was saying there, that the the measuring stick or the benchmark of which to judge wholesome words were the very words of Christ. And the benchmark is always the Word of God, which it says here produces this, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Okay, the doctrine which is according to godliness, it produces a certain thing, a certain fruit in our lives, and it produces the fruit of godliness. It produces fruit in your lives that, Really, as, as people observe you in your attitude, in your conduct, in your behavior, the major theme of the book of 1 Timothy, it's really a, an attitude of godliness. So how, how are we doing with that? You know, as we begin 2020, as we begin to, to start to put some resolutions together and perhaps even some measuring sticks uh, along the way, some, some mile markers along the way to see how we're growing in certain other areas, maybe in your finances, maybe in, your, uh, in, in a certain uh, educational pursuit, maybe in some fitness pursuit, maybe you have some measuring guidelines along the way. I wonder if we have the same attitude when it comes to godliness in our lives or, or do we just think and take for granted and do we go about just thinking it'll automatically happen as if anything worth doing is, just comes out of no effort. And we understand that it's the grace of God that, that does that in our lives. But understand, there is, there is a, a, a constant submission and a constant uh, looking at the, the benchmark of the Word of God, the very words of Christ, which is the proper benchmark for us to measure the, the, the right standard of things in our lives. This is the proper attitude towards God. And, and Paul was teaching, unlike the false teachers that he was referring to here, that, that you have to be in harmony with the Lord's Word with God's Word, and that's the benchmark of which you need to measure yourself with. You know, you could look around and you could measure yourself next to your wife, men, or, or ladies to your husband. You, you, could, you could measure yourself to your friend. You could measure yourself with the person behind you, the person in front of you. But you know what? That's not the benchmark we ought to aim for. And, and, and church, listen, the person in front of you, you might be a great Christian, they might may even be a mature Christian. But but listen, they're not the standard. They're not the measuring stick of which we're going to get health and vitality of, of godliness, uh, that character in our lives. You know who you're going to get that from? From from the, the Lord Jesus Himself and how He is. And, and you know, the Word of God, the, the whole revelation of it is the mind of Christ. And so understand the right standard and... and you know, our testimony of godliness will only become complete if we have the right standard of things. If we, if we glean from, from the Word of God what He thinks and what He says about certain things in our lives. And, and, and so we see, firstly, the right standard as we look at verse 3. Notice verses 4 and 5 with me now. He says He is proud. And so now He's starting to identify certain characteristics of those who are teaching contrary. And, and here what we see in verses 4 and 5 is not, not the right standard, but the rebel specified. Now he's going to identify, you know, those who were contrary to the wholesome words that should have been being taught, the, the, the right standard or the, the, the right standard of godliness. We see the rebel specified. And firstly, we see he is proud, knowing nothing. We see he is empty-minded. He's empty-minded. This is a person, the, the, the picture here being given, he's proud knowing nothing, is a, like a, a person that's full of smoke. You know, they, they, they appear to be menacing with their knowledge, but really it's just empty. The word picture for proud is of someone that's full of hot air. You know, sometimes the church is warm because there's too many people with hot air talking. They like to appear a certain way. They like to sound like they know what they're saying. But but really, when you look at the summary of their lives, when you look at the fruit of what, what is appearing in their lives, really, they're just proud that no, and they know nothing. Really, they're just blowing hot air, so to speak. And, and someone who's proud is like that. They They seem to be full, but they're actually empty. Uh, they're, they're like clouds with... That, that really yield no rain. And what happens is they cloud their minds with improper teaching and then they affect others. These are know-it-alls that know nothing at all. And you've got to be very careful. You know, just because someone appears like they know what they're saying doesn't mean they actually know what they're saying. And you've got to be careful there. He's saying, he's specifying those. And someone said it this way in, in their commentary, false teachers do not have the facts, and they are unable to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And so we see, firstly, the rebels specified they're empty-minded. Secondly, though, they were de- they're deceptive in their rhetoric. Notice there what he says. He is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words. But doting about questions and strifes of words. The reality of teaching is this. It's thoughts communicated. The false teacher is characterized by deceptive rhetoric that really causes others to stumble. They, they just like to hear the sound of their own voice. They just like to know that they have a solution for the perceived problem that you have. And really what he's saying there is, is it's just deceptive rhetoric. They talk so much you get confused. They talk so much they, they really are just, it's just circular just wanting to foster questions. And, and notice the wording he gives her, but doting about. Questions and strifes of words. You, you, it's, it's the picture of a doting mother. You, you ever see someone, a mum, who dotes on their children? They, they're just, they, just can't, they, just, they just love talking about their children. They think their children is the cutest in the world. And, you know, every parent thinks their child is the cutest in the world. It, it, you, you start to dote and you start to, every achievement that they have, you, you, you can't help but tell your friends and your loved ones about it. You know what? that's doting. You're just full of that. And, and what he's saying, they're doting about questions. You know what their baby is? Questions and strifes of words. They dote about it. They can't help but, but put those questions. They love to play. They adore questions. And they love to play devil's advocate about everything even the pretty clear and plain things of the Word of God. And I don't know if you've ever met someone who just, they just love to question everything. And that's the imagery that he was giving here about those who were teaching contrary wise or otherwise. They're proud knowing nothing, but they're doting about questions and strifes of words. The strifes of words is really a term used to describe the kind of communication that causes questions of established truth. You know, if, if you cause a, a Christian to, to question established truth from the Word of God, you're not helping anyone. If you're reinforcing truth through the use of questions, then that's a different story. But if you're simply asking questions just to shake things up, then actually the Bible calls you proud knowing nothing. Actually, the Bible says that you're those who teach contrary or otherwise, and you're doting about questions and strifes of words. See, they love to fight over true meanings of wholesome words, and you can hear a false teacher, they're always questioning, does it really say that? Really? And you know who did that from the beginning? The serpent. Yeah, hath God said. and And, and we understand that that you know, we have got to be take great care, and and there's that deceptive rhetoric. You know, be around people who who admonish you in the word of God, who lifts up the word of God, and and in, in it might be uh, times where you talk through some some things that are hard to be understood, but they're always edifying you about the word of God, and, and so we see that there's there's they're empty minded, they're deceptive in their rhetoric, but then really there's ugly outcomes, and here's what. The Bible says about that. He says, questions and strifes are words, whereof cometh? So out of that is produced envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. And so notice the ugly outcomes. There's envy, strife, railing, evil surmisings. All of these are ugly outcomes when deceptive false teachers are followed. And really, this is the opposite to wholesome words. Envy is this, ill towards others. That's what envy is. You, you, hate, you hate it when others seem to have good success and you don't. When others seem to have the fellowship and you don't. And there's ill towards others. There's strife or contention. There's contention that comes about. There's railing or the, the word contempt. Evil surmising is malicious conjecture. You're speaking and you're conjecturing to damage. All of that, none of us would, love, would, would like to be characterized by any of that. And yet when we engage in prideful, empty-mindedness and and deceptive rhetoric, really the, the outcome of that is just ugly. It's all of the above that we had just discussed, and you know it, it's it's the the uh, it's those that, that perhaps uh, go after the um, after a certain uh, certain time of teaching, and they ask questions. I, I wonder if uh, you know if pastor has an agenda about that. I wonder if we preach with a little imbalance. You know, I'm, I'm glad for the church's vision, but how about the, the, you know, the greater need? How about the other needs? And he doesn't seem to care about that. And, you know, that's damaging. You know what that is? It's malicious. And, and we've got to take great care when, when that's starting to be our, our condition of heart. And so he's saying there's ugly outcomes as a result of that. But then notice the next thing is this, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. You know what that is? It's constant debate. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, false teachers love to squabble. You know I heard of, of one uh, certain situation who you know they, they, they had a certain protege that they they sent out and they started a church and, and then you know this protege started this church and and started to espouse slightly different beliefs to their original and suddenly the 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 uh, the person who taught the protege Suddenly just rejected the other one. And, and you know what? There was just constant debate. They just love it. Just constant questioning and, and paring through things that really, it doesn't really matter. And, and there's a constant debate, a constant friction, and endless debate is offering the surrounding of a false teacher. But then, notice the next thing, there's, there's truthless inability. They're destitute of truth. And what he was saying, those who are false teachers, they have an inability to grasp truth because they are so deceived. See, the the corrupt condition of their minds has caused them to be imperiled. This is strong language and it's reserved only for those who lead others astray. And so we see that they have truthless inability, but then lastly, they have impure motives. And notice what he says there, supposing that gain is godliness. And notice what he instructs us from such: withdraw thyself. He's saying, you know, those who are, are teaching otherwise, who consent not to wholesome words, they're proud. They know nothing, but then really they have an impure motive. Their motive is gain. They, they want to gain a following. They want to gain some sort of some sort of stronghold. They want to gain some sort of some sort of uh, uh, fracture. They want to have their own group. And and perhaps even here in the context, the the motive is even financial gain. Quite the opposite to what God expected of His men in chapter 3, verse 3, not greedy of filthy lucre. And so He's saying there, withdraw yourself from that. They have some impure motives. They seek to make profit of you. And so be guarded against that. He's saying these things withdraw from, uh, withdraw thyself from. But then notice verse 6 to 8. We see not only there the, the right standard, the rebel specified, but then we see the real surplus. And here's what he was driving at. He's saying, but godliness. And so in contrast to that, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. You know, you think about the context of what he was speaking about earlier. He, he was talking to a group of people who were already getting, uh, being hard done by. He, he, was already, he was speaking to a group of people who were going through a tough situation. and He was talking to a group of people who were, who were in the church who he was warning. But he says at the end of it, the real surplus is this, godliness with contentment. And boy, how much do we need to hear? About contentment in 2020 you know we can we can look at other things we can wish for more but you know the thing that's a real surplus in our life is godliness with great contentment that's what that's what brings real satisfaction you know what contentment is 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 defined this way is resting of mind it's the idea that that you it's the the opposite of being double-minded or troubled in your mind it's being at peace He's saying you consider the situation you find yourself in and you have contentment. And, and firstly, we see great gain. It's godliness with contentment is great gain. The, the, partnership of God, the partnership of godliness and contentment is how we truly have more in life. You know, it's not that we have, it's, it's what, who we have really is what he was saying. And this is true satisfaction and nothing money can buy. He's saying godliness, being like God. Being like Him in character and you pair that with contentment, it's a great gain. That's great gain. And then He says this, there's an unquestionable reality in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. See, we brought nothing and so we can carry nothing out. The truth is, the things that matter most to God, we don't bring in and we can't take with us. That's what matters most to God. It's a reality that that ought to shape our attitude about this world and and godliness and contentment deems our lives satisfactory not only to ourselves, but to God. And so this reality that we came with nothing and we take nothing helps us understand then that all we have, all we have is God-given. You realize that today when you woke up, God gave you this day. You realize that what you take into this year, God gave you that. And sure, you may have worked hard. Sure, you may have saved the pennies. But you know who who gave you the ability to do that? God did. Not you. Not your careful health plan. Not your careful saving. God did. And none of that we can take credit for. And really, that's a testimony of godliness, the understanding that, that there's this unquestionable reality that we brought nothing and we won't take anything. And so we see then lastly, the minimum requirement. Notice here in verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You know, all of us here will probably define contentment in, in several other ways. But we, could, we, could, we could define it by a certain amount in the bank by a certain station in life, by a certain status of, of education perhaps. But you know what, what God's minimum requirement is for you and I to be content? If you have food and clothing. You know, there are those tonight all around our nation who would, would, would wish that they had just food and raiment. There are those tonight for sure all around Australia, who their houses burnt up and they literally have nothing now. There are those around the world who they've got nothing to eat tomorrow, they have no guarantee of it. And you know, here, here we are in the West. Here we are in Western society with the plenty that we have. And I dare say that if we were honest tonight, many of us aren't content. And we dare say to God, well, God, if you only bless me more. Well, God, if you only did that for me. Well, God, if you only, and you put, the, you put the, the words in the blank there. And if you were honest tonight, that's what you define contentment. But here's what God said. You know what the minimum requirement is for contentment? Food and raiment. Food and clothing. He didn't even say a roof over your head. Did You notice that? He just said, food and raiment, therewith be content. And I don't know about you, that's the, that, that is a greatly convicting thing. You know, many of us, we only ever feel satisfied when we've, we've reached a certain level. We complain and we murmur and we compare ourselves with the Joneses. And we'll do that again Probably. But if we're we're really honest and we want to have the testimony of godliness, you know, the world's looking at a people who are different. They're they're looking for those who claim the name of Christ to be different. He's saying, you know what contentment is? You know what the minimum requirement is for you to be content? Food and raiment. And, And all we look for as a minimum requirement to be content is that. And really, this is in opposition to the excessiveness that the world promotes. And church, can I, just, can I just say to you tonight, don't fall for that. Don't fall for the excessiveness of life. You know, there's a case for living simply. And we understand God gives us the, the joy of, of living in this country where we do have plenty. And, and I'm glad for all of that. But I hope that that's not where you're basing your contentment on. Because if you don't, if it's other things, then you know what? You might be thinking you're getting the real surplus, but you're not. Because it's only godliness with contentment. That's when you have great gain. And and church, listen, you know, tonight was probably nothing new to you. But maybe we need to renew that for uh, 2020. Maybe we need to renew that as we think about this new year. and, And maybe you have plans. But, but maybe you're basing what you, how you're going to be content on achieving those things when you already have it. You already have the reason to be content. Maybe some of you teenagers who, you know, you're complaining you don't have this clothing, you don't have that game, you don't have this thing. Maybe you just need to just quit being so complaining and having such a bad attitude and just rest content in your God. Just rest content in in what He has required there and in what He's given food and raiment. As I look around here, no one likes that. As I look around our nation, even in this time of tragedy and time of need, there's probably not many who can say they're under that. But I want to say to you that that's that's God's expectation. You know, Paul's admonition, it was given to instruct the church about their testimony of godliness. And and here it is, the, the world's watching. They're keenly observing our behavior and, and He's saying, you know, have some authenticity about you as believers. Have some godliness with contentment and that's great gain. You know, beware of those that, that will teach otherwise. Beware of those who say, you know, if you want to truly be blessed, you, you must have great gain in material possession. You know, that's not, that's not what matters to God. What matters to God is that, that we respond in a way that's, that's pleasing to Him even in those times where, where we seem to have the lack. Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. That's the real surplus. And authenticity as believers entails that we live in such a way that really we seek after and we prioritize godliness in our lives. And I hope that that's our desire in 2020. I hope that above all things that we would just seek to please God most, you know, in our, in our conduct to each other certainly, but in our conduct externally as the world watches, as the lost observes us who claim to be followers of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come, and Lord, we know, Lord, as we just honestly come before you, that Lord, we fall short so often. Lord of, of, Seeking after the right things and seeking after and having the right attitude and spirit about, Lord, each and every day. And Father, forgive us, Lord, for the times that we so readily complain about the perceived lacks that we have. Lord, help us to just come to an understanding, Lord, firstly, that you would protect us from those who, Lord, are, 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 not, are not giving wholesome words that you'd help us to be discerning according to your word and then Lord also then that as we observe our lives that we would just have godliness with great with contentment and that's great gain and help us dear God as we, we have that Lord as a as a testimony uh, each and every day that we might point to you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus most precious holy wonderful name amen all right brother